This past week, I'm sure many of you have heard a number of things with regards to the giving of thanks. One statement that I heard that I thought was extremely valuable was that we ought not to be thankful just for the possessions we enjoy, but for the people who are in our lives. And I made the comment last Sunday morning that I had read and studied intensely from the writings of the Apostle Paul over the past several months. And in doing so, I observed how many times Paul expressed his appreciation for all the congregations and the people with whom it was his privilege to work. And I felt as if it would be valuable for me to express my appreciation to this congregation and in doing so to study the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, recognizing that Paul truly loved and appreciated this great congregation. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to enjoy their fellowship. He wanted to be able to enjoy imparting to them the great message of God. If I were to begin by asking you, what characteristics would one look for in a godly church? If you were moving to a new community and you didn't know anything about any of the congregations in the area and you began to visit one by one, what kind of characteristics might you begin to try to want to find in a godly church? Well, last Sunday we talked about faith, hope, and love. I would not want to be a part of a congregation unless that congregation had faith in God, love for the fellow man and for God, and also to have a hope for eternity. But a second great characteristic, and one that I think would be great, is one that honors God's Word. I'm not talking about a church, for instance, who would just pay lip service and say, oh yeah, we believe the Bible. But I'm talking about one that when you ask the question, what does it mean to honor God's Word? One that would show respect for His authority. The things that we say, the things that we do, the various acts of worship that we participate in. Do we go to the Bible and say, what does the Bible say about how we worship God, the emblems that we partake of in the Lord's Supper, the way we sing, the way we pray, the very words that we study. A congregation, for instance, where you would hear the Word of God quoted frequently Someone asks a question, how do you answer that question? As 1 Peter 4 and verse 11 says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. And a congregation that studies God's word intently. This morning, what I would like to do is to keep your attention focused on that great word. We're going to study verses 5 through 10 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and see how the Thessalonians honored God's word with the idea in mind that I want you to see some parallels between them and between us as a congregation here at Bobby Branch. We're going to look first of all at the respect for the messengers of the word. Those men that brought the word of God to them Peter, or excuse me, Paul, 
Silas and Timothy, men who had preached there the honor that they bestowed upon them, the respect that they gave them. Number two, I would like for us to look at the reception of the word. How did it affect them in their personal lives? And then number three, the reflection of the word in verses seven and eight. Let's begin by looking again at the text. If you look with me at verse 5 first. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. As you know what kind of men we were among you, For your sake. For they themselves declare, verse 9, concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now I want you to notice for just a moment a faithful messenger should be respected for the message that he brings. There's so many ways that one could discuss this. For instance, we could talk about that great parable which our Lord gave about a a man who was sending his messengers to some men who had lent out his vineyard. And they began to mistreat them one by one by one and The Lord finally sent, or the master sent his son. He said, they will respect him. You see, if a man is a faithful messenger of God's word, he's to be respected not necessarily because of who he is, but for the message that he brings. In 1 Timothy 4 and verse 6, Paul says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Someone who brings God's message and delivers it faithfully is a good minister. It was not just those who preach his message, though. You go to chapter 5 and verse 17. He said, elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine, men whose... Heart it is to elevate God's word, to honor God's word. I think it's valuable to notice in Matthew 23, verse 37, as Jesus sits on the Mount of Olives and looks at the city of Jerusalem, and he he is grieving in his heart. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. You see, when it comes to a congregation of God's people, when it comes to people of a particular location, there are some that when the messengers bring the word, there is a respect for them because they're bringing the message of God. And there are some who kill the messenger because they don't like the message. But for Paul, Paul said, We didn't come to you in word only. You have to understand the context in which Paul presents that. He allowed his message and he continued his message 
with miracles to confirm it. We don't have that today. You have to remember in the first century, you did not have bound written copies of God's message that he wanted people to participate in and practice during that time. And so he gave the message to particular men. But in order for them to be able to be believed, he gave them miracles to perform. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul says the same thing to them. And brethren, when I came, did not come to you with excellence of speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In other words, I was able to demonstrate the Spirit, the power of God, so that you would believe me. And in Mark 16 and verse 20, that's exactly what Jesus promised, that he would send these men out, going out to preach, and he says, working with them and confirming the word with the accompanying signs. But I paused in the reading of verse 5 so that you would get that phrase with much assurance or to be more technically accurate, with full conviction. When the message is preached and you hear that message, do you know that that's a message from God? Do you know that that is something that you can depend upon, be convinced that that is true? For them, it was through the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit and also comparing with the things that are found in the Old Testament, Acts 17 and verse 11. In Romans 4, verse 21, and being fully convinced that what he he had promised he was also able to perform. Abraham believed God. He was convinced, convicted that God could and would do what he said he would do. Or in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, he says, For I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. Paul wanted them to understand when the messengers brought you the message, you could know with full conviction full assurance that this was the message from God. How can you know that? You pick up your Bible, you compare what is said to what's in that book, and you can know with assurance that the message is true. But you see, Paul, Timothy, Silas, and others who had worked among the Thessalonians, Luke, They were messengers worthy of respect because their lives had demonstrated a respect and honor for God's word as well. You know, when you look at what Paul writes to them in chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, but as we have been approved to God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but as God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak. 
for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, that we might, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul is saying when we came in, we didn't demand you to fall down and give us respect, but you did. We could have made demands, but we didn't. You see, the humbleness of those men who presented God's word to the Thessalonians made them appreciate the fact that they were respectful of it. You get to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. But we've renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. We don't just take God's word and use it any old way. They had acted in such a way that they deserved to be respected. It's difficult to appreciate the profound change that these messengers brought. When you look at the context of verse 5 and then verses 9 and 10, you see that these people change from serving idols to the serving of a true and living God. I want you to imagine carrying the gospel into a village in Southeast Asia where people are bowing down to spirit houses and they're worshiping idols to change them from doing those kinds of things to worship the true and living God. Imagine going to a country like Saudi Arabia or Pakistan where there is the worship of Allah and change these people from their former religion to worship of a true religion. Paul said in Galatians 4 verse 8, But then indeed when you did not know God, you serve those which are by nature not gods. That's who you used to be. Second Corinthians or First Corinthians twelve verse two. You know that you Gentiles were carried away by these dumb idols or to these dumb idols, however you were led. Acts fourteen and verse fifteen, you can see it at the Lyconian cities where Paul preached at Lystra and Derby and Iconium. But I want to move quickly now to the idea of the reception of the word. When Paul and others came and preached, how did the people receive the word? And you became followers of us and the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. With much affliction. The word here used for affliction means to be pressed, to be squeezed. I know that there, there's even more to it than just that, but that's the main meaning of the term. And when you go to chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Paul elaborates on that. He says, for this reason we thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans. Here is an important 
lesson, if you will. It doesn't matter if you are in Jerusalem and you're converting from Judaism to being a Christian. It doesn't matter if you are in Thessalonica and you're converting from serving and worshiping idols to worshiping the true and living God. Or if you are in McMinnville, Tennessee, and everyone around you is participating in worldliness, and then you become a New Testament Christian and say, I don't drink anymore. I don't go and carouse anymore. I don't fornicate anymore. You will suffer some sort of pressure of being squeezed. In 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 3 and 4, he said that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed for this. For in fact, we told you when we were with you that you would suffer tribulation just as it happened and as you know. Those who become Christians have to recognize that you will suffer some sort of persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, all who are godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's hard to receive the word when one is getting pressure from everyone around them. I dare say that there's some of you here this morning that you've not yet been baptized for the remission of your sins. You know that's what you need to do. You know the God's plan of salvation, but you're concerned about the pressure. Paul was thankful that the brethren at Thessalonica knew that and yet received the word as well. He goes on to say, with joy of the Holy Spirit. I find that interesting that some people want to just immediately say, oh, the Holy Spirit gives you some sort of joy here. The joy comes from what the Holy Spirit has revealed. In Galatians 5 and verse 22, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and so forth. Romans 5, 3 through 5, He talks about people who rejoice in their tribulations and he says God has poured this out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. God has revealed this to man. John 16 verse 33, Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Hebrews 10 34, he speaks about those who joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods because they knew they had a better possession for themselves in heaven. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a while, if it need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, though it, perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, people who receive the word even knowing what is going to come to them. So you look at a church that respects those who bring the message and then they receive the word with difficulty. Now, let's look at verses 7 and 8 together. 
so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. They became examples. People who, when they heard the message, they received it, and then they, we say, put it into practice. They began to show people what it means. Like Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Or as Paul wrote Titus and say, in all things, show yourself as a pattern or to be a pattern of good works. Let people be able to look at you and say, oh, those people are living the Christian life. Paul was thankful for the Thessalonians because he could say, look at them. They are examples. But he said, not only in Macedonia, that's to Philippi, to Berea, but also in Achaia, Corinth, Athens, their influence had gone everywhere. They showed everyone what a godly church should look like. I want you to think about that for just a minute. We are privileged to have a gospel meeting every spring. We've also enjoyed for several years a summer series before that, lectureships. And I know that many of you have heard men say that when they arrive here that they've known, heard about, and appreciated this congregation from a distance. And the reason why they say that is because it's true. The works that this congregation has done, the example of this congregation, is known far and wide. And that's because people are showing what godly congregations do. Then I want you to notice there's another phrase that Paul will use here. He says, from you has sounded forth the word of the Lord. That is, they were evangelistic. To the point, he said, we don't need to even say anything to you. You already know this. You are practicing this. Romans 10, verses 14 through 18, speaks about the process that's involved. How shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring good tidings of glad, thing, or glad tidings of good things. You see, there are people who support, and you look at the latter part of verse 18, but he says, I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. There are people in India that's heard the gospel because of the support of this congregation. There are people in Guyana who've heard the gospel because of support in this congregation. There are people in Thailand, Cambodia, Canada, 
and a number of the various states because this congregation has sounded forth the word of the Lord. And I like the way that when you get to chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. The New American Standard says that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly. The idea here is, is that God's word is going to go and run, but it's going to run quickly. What an emphasis. It's a blessing to be a part of a congregation that honors God's word, that holds it up with respect, holds it up with honor. Whenever you think about concluding a lesson, you want to really draw it to, I guess you'd say, where a person's mind is focused and say, okay, you can go either go one way or the other. And I was reading in the book of Deuteronomy, and I came to chapter 29, and I thought, well, this is a great way to summarize the way a congregation would approach God's Word. Moses has given the children of Israel the last words prior to his death, prior to their crossing over into the promised land. He's wanting them to see that they've got a choice to make. Either you're going to take God's word and put it up and honor it and respect it, or you're not. Here's what he says. I make this covenant and this oath not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as him who is not here with us today. For you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt, and that we came through nations which you passed by, and you saw their abomination, their idols which were among them, wood and stone and silver and gold, so that there may not be among you a man or a woman, family or tribe, whose heart turns away from the Lord our God, to go and to serve the gods of these nations, that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. He's saying, you've traveled through the world. And they did. You've seen the way the world lives. And they had. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. The Lord would not spare him. For then the anger of the Lord and the jealousy would burn against that man and every curse that is written in this book would settle on him and the Lord would blot his name out from among under heaven. Here's what God says. You've got a choice. You're passing through this world. You can either honor my word and let it guide your life or you can say, I've got peace, I've got happiness, I've got everything I want, I'll do what I want to do. God's wrath abides on that man. You see, he he thinks I can do it my way, I can go my direction. Honoring God's word is important. If you honor God's word, that means that you will obey it. If you've not yet become a New Testament Christian, 
If you believe in Jesus Christ, turn from your past sins. Let this audience know that you believe that Jesus is the Christ by confessing his name and be baptized for the remission of your sins. That honors God. If you look at your life as a Christian, you say, I recognize I've not been doing that. I've been doing what I wanted to do rather than honoring God and His Word. Why not this morning say, I'm going to make things right. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. If you need to respond to God, would you not come as together we stand and sing?